Growth doesn't happen within the comfort zone. The comfort zone is a synonym for saying, I'm going to be part of the living dead. Because the nature of death is predictability and the lack of change. Life is change, difference, new things are introduced, vitality. All the stuff which makes life exciting is all the stuff which wasn't there before. Creativity, something which comes from nothing. The, 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 when everything is the same as it was before, that reaches a sense of stagnation. And even though there may be existence, but there's not really the vitality, the renewal of, renewal of life. Renew, it's new. And therefore, what prevents us from living a life of vitality and renewal is becoming stuck in what we call the comfort zone. The comfort zone is our area of current behavioral patterns, ways of thinking and ways of doing, which is bounded, surrounded by a barrier. And the barrier is not an electric wired barrier, the barrier is not a wall, the barrier is a barrier of fear. And therefore it's inevitable in order for us to live a life of vitality renewal, we have to know, have to have some kind of healthy relationship with fear. And what we're suggesting is that perhaps a love of fear will promote exponential growth and a repulsion and recoiling from fear will keep us trapped in that same cozy little space forever and ever. Jared. Why did you change from pain to fear? Sorry. When I was saying the word fear and pain, I, I do, it was like a bit of a Freudian slip, but I do think that, um, they've, they, they, they're very closely relinked. Like the, the fear is the fear of pain and the pain is the thing we're scared of. So yeah, fear and pain. I'll give you an example. So, um, Jared suggested that in the freezing cold shower that we have in the morning, the way I normally enter into the shower is I extend my hands out and I get a sense of the temperature and then I expose my huge chest to the, to the shower. Massive, gigantic, powerful thing. Um, and then I kind of ease my head into it. And you say, well, why don't you just stand underneath the shower and <laughs> switch it on cold turkey. Literally cold and turkey because you get these bumps which make you look like a turkey skin. So, so I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. So I'm standing there in this moment of truth underneath the shower and this water could attack me at any point. And I'm standing there and I'm thinking to myself, Warrior! You are warrior! Yes! No! And then I just put on the... No, and then, then I said to myself, You love pain! Yes! I want pain! I love pain! Give me pain! And then I put, put it on and was like, Great! Great. It was great. It was like the, the whole like build up was like an illusion. It wasn't there. It was just, yeah. Did it. Done. Not big deal. Did it. Done. Not big deal. So it was a microcosmic experience of dealing with pain and trying to create a positive attitude as opposed to a repulsion and um, a, a avoidance and embracing and an, a, a kind of an attraction. To the and again, it doesn't mean all pain is, I think Adam point, could put it across, pain is a very healthy indication that something's going wrong. So it's not the kind of pain, and that's maybe why I slipped into that, the, the, the language of fear. It's the kind of pain that's associated with fear, which there's nothing really substantial there other than this block. So I want, you, I want to explore this in the text, and we're going to 
again, go to the Ramchal, it would be helpful if you have the text that I gave you, and I'm sure you kept safely a couple of days ago. I did make those copies. I think it was, I think it was yesterday. I made those copies and I did give everyone a copy. So just take out the copy that you have. Okay, just take them out, everyone. Just take it out. Just take out that copy. Excellent, good. Uh, was there an extra one? Did someone say there's an extra There were, there were extras. So, so yeah, so everyone should have a text in front of them. Uh, you know, there may be, maybe those. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think I may have, may have spotted some over here. Let's see. Spotted them. Oh, 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 potentially. Oh, here we go. Here we've got another copy. Okay, so these, these copies, these copies are, you know, things that you should keep. Keep them and cherish them so that you can follow inside is a textual component to our study. We on the bottom paragraph. Vihine. Vihine. Beautiful, good work, Sash. Vina, seems even an extra copy over there. Is an extra copy? So you put, pass down the extra copies this direction. Avram doesn't have an extra copy. He needs to find side. This is for all. Just give all. That's for Ruvain. Good. Either to Ruvain, and then yeah. Oh, he said I'm gonna go grab mine. Like he forgot he gave He's his here. to yours, to you. Oh, it's good. Huh? No, no, no. That's good. That's good. That's good. Okay, so we've we've got a spare copy here. Daniel Rabizada has got a copy. Give it to her, Daniel. Pause that copy. Okay, so hang on to your copies. Vihine, and behold, so we're in the text right now. Vihine, anachnu roim be'ineinu. We can see with our eyes. Now, remember when we learn Ramchal, we learn Ramchal with a fine tooth comb. Every word is powerful. The Vilna Gaon said about the Ramchal and his work, Mrs. Shrem, he learned and he didn't find in the first 11 chapters a single extra word. Now, if I would have said that, you would have said, Shkoyach. But the Vilna Gaon, he was able to write an essay in four words. Because his choice of words was so perfectly picked that he was extremely fastidious about being succinct in his in his, in, his, in his language. So when he says there's not an extra word, it means that we should take every word extremely seriously. Well, why would the Ramchal say we see with our eyes? Clearly he's indicating that what he's about to describe is not a theory, but an experience. means we see with our eyes, meaning we've all had this experience. Let's see with the experience, and then you'll tell me if you've had it. So many times, that the heart of a person knows exactly what he has to do. He knows his obligation. And it is real by him what is suitable for him to save himself. And also his obligation in his from the side of his creator, meaning he recognizes his spiritual path. He gets his spiritual path, and he also gets the fact that straying from this path is dangerous, and he needs to be saved, and that this is problematic. So he's got a full cognizance of 
destructive nature of his behavior and he has a full awareness of the path that he should tread. So he's got both. He's got the clarity of understanding. He gets it. In his mind, it's perfectly clear. And nevertheless, he will leave it off. He will not pursue his path of greatness. He will not avoid his derech of destruction. And the reason why he doesn't do it is not because there's a cognizance that he doesn't have. He's not sure of it. He's not aware of it. And really, there's no tangential reason that's stopping him from doing that. But because the heaviness of this thing called Atzla weighs down on him. There's a certain element of inertia that he can't break through. I'm going to call that the comfort zone. That the comfort zone is such a comfortable place to be, it seems like breaking through it would be like lifting a 10 ton weight. The language that the Ramchal used is there's a heaviness. There's a sense of inability to fly, to move up, to go beyond. I'm just rooted here and I can't get out. And behold, he says, let me eat a little bit. I need to sleep a little bit. I can't go out now. I've taken off my coat. I'm not going to put it on again. It's too hot outside. The sun is strong in the world. The cold is great. It's raining. Or all the other excuses, the noise and unreasonable claims, that the mouth of the ones who are suffering from this condition, we call them atzalim, their mouths are full, are full with them. Mayhem. Good. Mayhem. Good. And in the interim, as a result, they disregard, they dismiss their power to connect to the home of spiritual wisdom, the Torah. So they don't have access to this immense source of clarifying their life, of giving them the depth, perception, wisdom, connection, powerful spiritual energy. And their mission in this world becomes annulled. And as a result, the person lands up completely dislocating himself from spiritual connection to his higher force. Gone. Nothing. And he's totally passive. Didn't do anything wrong. Didn't do anything wrong. He just sat there in his comfort zone. Not wanting to move. And all of a sudden, his entire spiritual arena, that infrastructure, disintegrates. And he quotes Shlomo the king, Solomon. With laziness will fall in the roof. And with the lowliness of hands, meaning the inactivity, will leak the house. Meaning that when you don't do anything, the nature of life is things disintegrate. And he's using the physical world 
as an example to do so. One thing I know from living in a house, it needs maintenance. Houses, anything in the physical world requires upkeep. Without upkeep, upkeep, things disintegrate. They get, they kind of just lose their cars without services, they'll stop working. Houses without regular input will start to disintegrate. Everything will fall to pieces. So similarly, it's an analogy that an unkept up internal spiritual world will fall to disarray. You're not doing anything to break it, it will disintegrate. In order to own our lives, our spiritual quest, it's not enough just to stay still. We have to break through the barrier of inertia which weighs 10 tons. But if you ask the person, this if you ask the person why he's not doing it, he'll be able to quote you an unlimited amount of sources from the sages. He'll even bring verses to prove his point. And logical reasonings as to why exactly he's doing what he's doing. This is a world of rationalization. The world of rationalization is a petrifying world. It's a world of the world of addiction. The world of I'll do anything but change the way I am. And when my starting point is I cannot change, I cannot move, I'm stuck in what I'm stuck in, I will come up with the most brilliant reasoning as to why it has to be this way and can be another way. And I'll bring, be able to bring, distort, manipulate every possible thing to support my continued way of being the way I am. That all these sources teach him, instruct him, according to his distorted perception, to make it easier for him, lenient, and to lay him, leave him, place him in the inactivity of his atlas. And he is incapable of seeing and he's unable to see that these rationalizations and the reasons he brings for his inhibiting his change, he doesn't see that they don't come from a careful examination of the facts of weighing up. He doesn't see they don't come from a sound decision. He doesn't see that they're actually generated by his inability to want to change. His, his lack of desire to want to change. That when they control him, they incline his mind until he loses the capacity to think straight. Petrifying. And therefore, he won't take heed. He won't listen to anyone who gives him advice. He says, I've got this. Don't worry. Just lead me to this. How many discussions have you had in your life with people in these situations and you try to speak to them and there's no one on the other hand that can listen to you? Because it's almost as if the ability to reason, to, to introspect, to reflect has been taken away from them. They are so influenced by these kirchas inside. 
screams out and he says, Wiser, wise is the Atzel in his own eyes more so than seven givers of reasoning. Meaning, he's cleverer than all the wise men in the world. Because his Atzel is so strong, it doesn't leave him to even be consider the people that are trying to clarify and help him move forward. He'll look at everyone else as mistaken and idiotic. And he's the only one that gets it. So we're going to have to go back and examine this text. That was just a quick read-through. But how powerful. How powerful. The Ramchal coming from the 1700s in Italy died at the age of 39. Authored many, many books. A master of Kabbalah. And he just puts it across these incredible insights of what's holding us back in our personal growth, Gavi. I, think, I feel like he's um, pushing very much to listen to your peers and listen to other people um, taking their advice. I just want to know, how do you know when you're changing for yourself over changing for other people? Beautiful question. There's got this like undercurrent over here that, and this is a presupposition of all good work. Unless we cultivate our own capacity to make good decisions, we are essentially helpless to navigate the treacherous roads of our own lives. You're 100% right. Because if I don't have a good decision-making way, way of making good decisions, so then I'm trapped because I can't make my own decisions, but I can't listen to other people who tell me what decisions to make because, first of all, they might not, may not know me. They may have agendas. They may be misled. And therefore, I'm stuck. And therefore, perhaps, a prerequisite for even engaging in this discussion, discussion is I know what a good decision feels like. I know how to make decisions. There's this thing as a weighing up of options and po- creating a path of what is a good decision. And quite honestly... I see people making shocking decisions all day long. And I'm probably one of them as well. I say the word probably. I'm being generous. But having a capacity to make good decisions in life is, is the basic. And people throw away, throw away amazing relationships. Throw away incredible jobs. Throw away once in a lifetime opportunities because of some kind of bad decision-making process. And of course, the bad decisions you live to regret for the rest of your life. So, 100%. You've got to cultivate that good decision-making process. And the question is, well, how do you do that? We'll have to go into that. But do, do you see how interesting this interplay is that if this thing gets into your brain, you, know you lose the capacity to make good decisions. So what do you do? How do you get out of your brain? Trust your brain. So in other words, how do, you, how do you redevelop that trust? How, how do you know when you're influenced and when you're not being influenced? And over here, the Ramchal confronts directly how rational can we really be when we've got these biases who are these strong un- unconscious forces driving the ship? Power, Gabriel. Um, I was going to ask uh, early on, what was Atatos like? It's your desire, it's your, it's your I'd like to express what is atzus, and I don't like using the, I don't like translating the words. I want to, exp- I want to define the word. There's a thing called atzlus. 
So it has been translated as, as laziness. That's not the way I want you to translate it. In life, there are two forces which are there to create meaning in our being. Without resistance, without struggle, without pain, our lives are meaningless and pointless. Pain gives the power to our being, just like resistance builds muscles. There are two kinds of possible destructive forces that we fight against to create meaning in our life. The, force, the, force, the first force is a force whereby our decision-making process is distorted and as a result we become fiercely and ferociously proactive and our energies become activated to the fullest degree but in completely the wrong direction. So we express ourselves in a way which is totally destructive. Enormous amounts of actualization, but actualization of the deeper parts of ourselves which are destructive to our ultimate spiritual, ethical, emotionally healthy future. So there's a power that makes us active, but active in the wrong way. And we have to be able to combat it. And there's a different kind of power. There's a power which doesn't allow us to express the dormant greatness within. It's like an oppressive power. So there's a power which pulls us and there's a power which pushes us. The power which pushes us suppresses the greater, the inner greatness from coming out. For the first power, it requires weighing up. Good decision-making process in terms of not being led astray. For the second, it requires the power of breaking through the barrier of fear and pain. The second force is a power of suppression, pushing down, keeping us with our great potential dormant and inactive. That power is called the power of Atlas. Atlas means you could do anything. Just don't ever reveal the greatness inside yourself. Just be small. Just be functioning on minimal. Just be in that comfort zone and only in that comfort zone. Never, never, never get yourself out. Never try the thing that you're too scared to try. Never speak to the person you're too scared to speak to. Never apply for the job that you think is above your pay grade. Never take on that leadership position because you don't want the responsibility of the people that you need to lead. Never take on that challenge that may threaten your sleeping patterns. Never go on that diet that could affect your eating. Never, never. Just stay there in that comfort zone, in that rut, in that stagnation forever and become a zombie and we have to fight certain social pressures to be able to realize this I was listening to a podcast from two of Hollywood's famous, most famous psychotherapists, one's a psychiatrist, one's a psychotherapist, Phil Stutz and Barry Michaels, and they're chatting about, about the nature of life. And one of their, you know, they've got a whole, they've got a book, a very interesting book called Tools, and they speak about the importance of discipline. Anyway, Barry Michaels shares a story about a client that he had who was a multimillionaire and decided that he was going to he, 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 could, he didn't need to make any more money. 
and he'd worked hard his whole life. So he's just going to live the good life. Wake up when everyone to wake up. I think his expression was fold in the tent. He wanted to fold in the tent and just, is that an expression? Fold in the tent and just, just get on with it. After two months, he entered into a severe depression. Barry Michael said to him, like, you know, you've got to, got to do something. You've got to go back to work. Go do something. He wasn't open to that. And he landed up in a psychiatric hospital. Thankfully, after that, he recovered and he was able to go back to work. I don't know if he did the same kind of work. He could have been engaged in more philanthropy. But he had to get up and work. And what Barry Michaels commented was, our society promotes stagnation by tempting and seducing us to valuing the creature comforts as an ideal and an endpoint. And therefore, the ultimate picture of retired bliss is I'm on my golf estate with the fancy car, the swimming pool, servants doing everything I need them to do for me, and I can be completely passive. Ironically, that perspective of life is death. So we sold a dummy. And it's not, it's not some kind of religious guru or fiercely tongued rabbi, but it's the people who are meeting the people, the great and powerful people who disintegrate when they let go of overcoming adversity, struggle, power, push. So that's profound. That's profound. And you know, what's, what's amazing is all of you have a very unique opportunity. And every day is precious. And it's amazing how much time is wasted and how uncultivated so many rich experiences are. And they're just left to get washed down the river of life, never to be seen again. Floating as flotsam in the distant memories of a possible past which will never be retrieved. And we live a half-life that could have been full. Let's go get a beer in the shuck. Yes. Uh, no, no, I'm, just, I'm still going strong. Yeah. Maybe change the tone, kind of give up something like a little bit more upbeat. Uh-huh. Two guys walking to the bar. Um, one of the guys says, uh, uh, you know the person that um, invented... <laughs> forgotten it. It was potentially a good joke. Uh, yeah, uh, questions. Yes, Gav. You get, so I'm going to have to give a quote on you as well. You have to take over from Sasha. That's fine. I'm happy with that. Okay. Just to argue the other side, <laughs> if you say that uh, a rabbi, this, this might sound very controversial, but uh, I do... I like controversy. I mean, you should say, this is going to sound controversial with excitement. Yes, yes. I love controversy. If you say a rabbi who's devoted his life to learning in yeshiva and <coughs> learning all day has also, in a way, lost the plot of love and has become stagnant, in a way. Well, it's it, not... You know, the only the, the, the question is, what, what does that mean? So let's, let's think about Rebel Yashif, and we can maybe screen the video. Uh, age of 102. Clock strikes 2 in the morning. 102. 102. 
He's been doing this for the last 90 years of his life, seriously. 90 years. Clock strikes 2 in the morning. Pulls himself, his weary bones out of his body. Prepares for learning. Washes his hands. Bechaz Torah. Boom! Learn. Three o'clock. Four o'clock. Doesn't look up. Four o'clock. Now, when he's doing that, I imagine he's probably got a phenomenal sense of concentration, but I don't think it's a walk in the park for him. I don't think he walks, wakes up at two o'clock in the morning and goes, Hey! Time to get up! Woo! I don't think he puts it in your arm and goes, Ooh! And like, like reading, you know, like a net. Like, Come on, it's tough! Boom! Boom! Five o'clock. Five thirty. Get ready for davening. Davening six o'clock. And he's been doing that for the last 90 years of his life. Now, if there's ever a hero, he's a hero. He's a hero. Now, is there a way of using your religion as a cocoon so that you can remain unevolved? 100%! 100%! Yeshorim Darach Hashem. The ways of Hashem are straight. Tzadikim Yelchuvam. If you're Tzadik, you walk straight in them. Koishim, you koshim, boom! The koishim in those same drachim will mess up. The same drachim. The same tone, the same, it's the same everything. They'll use, so, okay, good. You, you know, there's nothing's risk-free. Nothing is risk-free. Whatever you are, the risk is there. The biggest rabbi, biggest rabbi, the risk is there. So is it possible? Yeah, it's possible. How is, how is Rebbe Yashim, who's been doing the same thing for 90 years, evolving? Because, imagine this. You have a person, what would I say, what do you say to me if there's, uh, look at Wim Hof. Hero. He's doing the same thing for the last 30 years. Exposing himself to the intensities of life and overcoming them. If you're doing that, if that's the thing you're doing consistently, every day is a different struggle, every day is of growth. If you kind of, the thing you've been doing for the last 50 years is like sitting on the beach and chilling, different story. But this is like daily work because there's so much resistance. Guy's been running, you know, up the Himalayas for the last 50 years. Guy, he's been doing it for the last 50 years, you know, now he's 97. What's the big deal? <laughs> That's the big deal. Good. Adam. So with that, I mean, right, you use the run example, someone who plays sports their whole life. Like, is that a good use of their time? Depends on the person. Who's the person? What potential do they have? If you had Einstein, who became a fantastic cricketer, would be good. But what would be the theory of relativity? You know what I'm saying? It's like using, it's using your potential. It's using your, it's not using, you know, not, not being active. It's about being active in the area of greatness. And maybe we'll go speaking about how do we get into our zone of genius? Because we've all got a zone of genius. We've got functional, competent, excellence, and then we've got genius. We want to get to genius. Because until we get to genius, what's our life? Everyone can be excellent. Everyone can be competent. Genius. Only you can be in your zone. Let's get there. Let's get there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I lost this stupid.